Welcome back to the Ancient Health Podcast, where we educate you on real health solutions that will help transform the way you live, feel, and overcome disease naturally. I'm your host, Courtney Versage, along with Dr. Josh Axe and Dr. Chris Motley. We're so happy you've joined us. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Super excited to have you here. We are talking about anti-nutrients today. And you may be thinking anti-nutrients. We always talk about nutrient density and picking produce and animal products that have a high amount of micronutrients and macronutrients and minerals. But there are such things as anti-nutrients that can be found in all plant matter. So These are something that have actually kind of hit the headlines a little bit more recently, particularly with this paleo movement. And even Dr. Stephen Gundry came out with a book uh, not so long ago called The Plant Paradox. And I feel like that really is what hit the headlines for anti-nutrients. Prior to that, these were not really talked about. So what I want to do is kind of set the stage for you and talk about what these anti-nutrients are and then give you a breakdown of which plants contain the highest amounts and really give you a good understanding of what that means for your health. Because that is really where you're going to learn if these plant compounds are really working for you or against you. And that way you can make the best decisions when it comes to shopping for produce. We know that we call, we always say that food is medicine, right? And plants are a big part of that. So when we talk about anti-nutrients, we can't just demonize plants because we know that they carry a high value to our health. So things like lectins, phytates, goitrogens, uh, oxalates, we're going to talk about all of these today. And if you're thinking, oh my gosh, I don't even know what these words mean, I'm going to make it really simple for you because my goal is not to confuse you with all of these big words and then you'll never remember them and now just be in fear of plants, I want you to understand that there may be certain conditions that you're experiencing, maybe even some symptoms that can be exacerbated by the presence of these anti-nutrients in your diet. So if you are experiencing joint pain or inflammation or certain autoimmune conditions, you may want to pull out some of these high anti-nutrient foods and they fall in different buckets. So doesn't mean you've got to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think that's the right, uh, (laughs) that's the right terminology or phrase. But what I want you to do is really be able to make specific changes to your diet to optimize your health outcomes. So let's start with lectins. Lectins actually are probably the most commonly talked about anti-nutrient, and they're really the ones that have had the most studies done on them. And they seem to pose the biggest threat when we have too many of them. And so lectins are a toxic plant protein. And what happens is they can actually stick to the cells in your gut wall, in your gut lining. And what happens is and in sticking to that, they create these little pores and holes, which is what we call leaky gut, right? And now toxins and bacteria can actually migrate into the bloodstream. They cross that blood-brain barrier. That can be really problematic, especially for somebody that already has leaky gut, right? Because the more of these lectins that you consume, the more it's just going to add fuel to the fire. So where can you find lectins? Lectins are in peas, lentils, peanuts, soybeans, a lot of whole grains. In fact, gluten is a lectin. So gluten is a protein in wheat, but it is also what is the irritant, right? It has has lectin. It is a lectin. It is a form of an anti-nutrient that can actually create more problems. So This is why if you have Hashimoto's or you've got some type of autoimmune disorder, especially celiac, you should absolutely be off of wheat and a lot of grains because of this very mechanism of lectins and anti-nutrients also contributing to this inflammatory response and a dysregulation of your immune system. 
So nightshades are also high in lectins. So if you are sensitive at all to bell peppers, tomatoes, eggplants, even potatoes, right? These are all nightshades and they do have a higher concentration of lectins. Now, I want to go ahead and just say that a lot of times these anti-nutrients can be mitigated or reduced just in the preparation, proper preparation of your meals and your food. So instead of just eliminating and thinking, okay, I've got a specific condition, it's associated with this anti-nutrient, I have to completely cut it out of my diet. That might be something that you want to consider for a very short period of time, especially if you're very inflamed and you're looking to extend that road of healing for you so that you can get the maximum outcome from your healing protocol. But what is ideal is for you to have a diet that includes a wide variety of fruits and vegetables and animal products, right? The more we limit, the more we're going to limit the amount of nutrients that our body takes in that our body has to use to build energy to heal. So we need the nu- we need the nutrition, right? So we can't just cut out a whole bunch of food groups thinking that that's the only way. Avoidance is not the only way to heal. It can be helpful for a short period of time, but it's not the only way that you want to work with a strategy for healing. So what I'll recommend and I'll talk about as we go through this episode is how to prepare food in the best way. And things like um, lentils and peanuts and soybeans, all of these things can actually be soaked. And when you add in apple cider vinegar or some lemon juice, something that has um, a lot of acidity, it can start to break down these anti-nutrients. And that actually creates uh, a much different digestive process on when it comes to uh, consuming these foods than if you were just to consume it raw or just preparing it your normal way. Maybe you were just cooking it in some water. So I always recommend doing that. Make sure that when you are maybe soaking some of these seeds and nuts and grains that you are repeatedly rinsing them. So what I like to do is actually soak whatever it is, if it's a seed or a nut or a grain, and I'll I'll cover it with water, filtered water. You don't want to be doing this with water that has chlorine and fluoride and all kinds of VOCs and chemicals, right? So you want to use a good filtered water. Add in like two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar or a squeeze of a lemon, and then you're just going to want to let it sit for eight to 24 hours. But during that time, you want to put it in a strainer and rinse it off multiple times, right? Because as that lemon juice and apple cider vinegar starts to break down some of these anti-nutrients, then it's going to, it ends up, they're water soluble, so they end up in the water. So make sure that you're rinsing that out repeatedly, adding back a little bit more of that apple cider vinegar. It's a little bit more legwork, honestly, on the cooking front, but at the end of the day, if you're really trying to figure out the best way to heal your gut, when you do have these foods that maybe aren't prepared the same way, like they're not going to do this in a restaurant, right? But it won't be problematic because one exposure to some foods that have higher lectins or phytates or oxalates isn't going to disrupt your entire microbiome. It's just that when we have multiple insults that we stay stuck in patterns of sickness. So these are just strategies and tools for you to use in your own home that are going to help you have the best health outcome. So let's talk about how lectins can actually support your body. Now, these anti-nutrients, think about it. They are the plant's mechanism of keeping themselves alive. It's a self-preservation tactic of a plant. Isn't it pretty cool that plants have a way of protecting themselves because they can't just sprout legs and run away from something trying to eat it. So they have to have a way to protect their own longevity and be able to re-germinate and, 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 and grow into whatever plant material it is. So they have these anti-nutrients that repel certain predators, certain things that would consume them. 
And it also keeps them hardy and resilient. Now, one little thing I will say, because now I'm going down a rabbit trail, but think about this. Genetically modified foods, right? Why are we genetically modifying our plants? Because for farmers, like these monocroppers, right, they're just planting mass amounts of food. They're looking for plants that have resiliency, right, that they can withstand all types of environmental factors. So whether it's temperature swings or droughts or um, high water scenarios, they, they want plants that are not delicate, that can survive all this hardship. They also want plants that can grow really fast, right, so that they can keep turning over their crops and they can sell more. That makes them more profitable. And they also want crops that are not going to be taken out by different pests. Because a lot of times we get all these bugs, right? And that can diminish a farmer's crop or supply. So we, we corporations like industrialized farming has essentially gone through and found the different genetic components of these plants and said, okay, these are the ones that seem to be the most hardy and resilient. These are the ones that we're going to actually germinate and continue to grow. So they pick kind of these, these genetic lines that are more hardy and resilient. Well, they have a higher level of anti-nutrients as a result, right? Because those anti-nutrients make it more robust. So this is also a reason why you should always make sure that you're getting your produce from very reputable places like industrialized, mass farming, non-organic. You've got to just, I don't care if it, whoever tries to sell you the fact that organic is not, is, is no different than conventional. They're wrong. Listen, all of our food at some level is probably exposed to glyphosate and other different contaminants because this is the world we live in. It's toxic. And once these, these chemicals that are forever chemicals are out there, like there's nowhere for them to go and they don't break down. But at the end of the day, we have a choice to try and pick the best ones that are out there. I like to try and find farms that I know are local to me and I know that they're not spraying their fields down and I know that it's coming from soil that's close by my home. So I think that's a really good strategy too, but wanted to make that little mention of GMOs because that has a higher level. So if you're buying all this conventional produce, you are getting a higher degree of anti-nutrients in your plant produce. Okay, so back to a couple of the benefits. I know I'm running through a lot of information. Are you guys still with me? Okay, okay, we're gonna do it. So they can actually support because these anti-nutrients bind to carbohydrates, okay? So that actually can lower the glycemic index of these foods. So if you think about it, somebody that's pre-diabetic or diabetic or just maybe has some insulin resistance going on, some metabolic issues, the lectins can actually work for you by binding to these sugars, these carbohydrates, and actually not allowing and preventing the absorption of them. So that can actually prove to be a little bit supportive when it comes to some anti-nutrients. So you know, we can't just demonize everything. There's always maybe some upside to a few things, unless it's like seed oil, really refined seed oils and processed foods and sugars. We can never find an upside to that. But I digress. There are upsides, and we're going to talk about all of them because I'm not here to just say that all of these things are bad and you just need to avoid them. Okay, let's talk about oxalates really fast. You may know of the connection to spinach, spinach, oxalates, and kidney stones. So here's what you've got to know about oxalates. They are primarily found in members of kind of the green, leafy green family. So things like spinach, Swiss chard, uh, collard greens, even things like rice bran, buckwheat, almonds, and amaranth will have high levels of oxalates. But oxalates specifically bind to calcium. This limits the absorption of calcium in your body. So if you're somebody that is prone to kidney stones, this can be very problematic, right? Because 80% of kidney stones are formed from calcium oxalate. 
So having a lot of oxalates, and we find this specifically with a lot of people that consume raw spinach. You always, you know, hear of all these raw food diets, like, you know, throwing raw kale in your smoothie or raw spinach, and there's all these phytonutrients. Well, there are, but there are high, high levels of oxalates specifically in spinach. So I have noticed just in, you know, adding greens in um, that having it in a raw form, now having it in a salad here and there is great. And actually, here's the thing. So if you're having it in a salad, so don't, don't fear your salad. I always love a good salad. But if you're having it with protein, if you're having it with other minerals and other nutrients and fats and protein, that's actually going to help your body absorb the nutrients a lot better than just having like a smoothie that has a bunch of raw vegetables and maybe a little bit of raw fruit. That's kind of like a really heavy hit and a, a really practical take on how to reduce oxalates is if you're afraid that maybe this is contributing to kidney stones or mineral absorption or things like that, like you, your calcium levels are off, then you may want to consider cooking or at least having this food within a different type of meal. So not something in its raw form. So you can also reduce oxalates by preparing them in a certain way. So having them with calcium-rich foods, like I said, having them with um, a good source of protein, something like wild-caught fish or a good um, grass-fed dairy, like a raw cheese, that would be really good as well. Now, oxalates are also water-soluble, so you can they can be reduced by blanching, boiling, or steaming. And then again, you're going to want to make sure that you eliminate that water, that, that residue, right? Because it's going to contain all the oxalates after you've boiled it or blanched it, whatever, however you've prepared it. Um, you can also cook it in milk. So milk has an acidic component that can help uh, mitigate that oxalate exposure. All right, guys, we're moving right along. Is everybody still with me? <laughs> I know this is a kind of a nerdy episode, but I'm hoping that this gives you a couple things to think about when it comes to preparing your food. Like I said, it's all about the preparation. And if you prepare your food the right way, you'll be sitting in a really good position to have all of the things that you love to eat when it comes to plant food. So phytates or phytic acid, let's talk about it. Phytic acid is found in plant seeds. So what you gotta know about that is that it's the main storage form of phosphorus. That's where it's found. It's in the seed. So think about anything that, that has like a hole around it, um, things like almonds, grains, some legumes. Um, these all have chickpeas, millet, uh, kidney beans, and even some tubers, right? And uh, they all have phytic acid or phytates. The main problem with phytates is that they can bind to minerals, like really important minerals like calcium, zinc, magnesium, and iron. One thing to note here is that phytates that bind to minerals are really only binding to the minerals in the food of the meal that you're having. So if you're having it for lunch, let's say, let's say you have a meal that has a number of these high phytate or high phytic acid components in it. It's really only going to bind to the nutrients that you have with it in that meal. So it's not going to affect the meal later on during the day, like dinner or something the next day. And one thing to consider too is that non-heme iron, so this is the iron from plant foods, is generally pretty poorly absorbed, right? It's, it's heme iron that's more efficient. But that is the non-heme iron is actually more affected by phytates than heme iron. So if you're having some food that has you know, some amount or uh, load of phytic acid, if you're having it with a pairing it with a good animal protein, you're actually going to kind of block some of the inhibiting factors of phytic acid with those nutrients and minerals. So that's really important to realize it's all about the full picture and not just the one individual food itself. 
That's why we've always got to have some context because we can't just write off any one thing or it being prepared in one way because as long as it's in the presence of other nutrient-dense foods, there's a very complex interaction. And, and even with your gut, think about your gut microbiome, right? We know for a fact that our gut microbiome is altered by a lot of what we eat. And there is not a simple formula like, you know, X plus Y equals Z. It's a lot more complicated than that. So there's a number of different factors to consider. And I think when we're looking at our plate, we've got to have as much diversity as possible because our gut has this constant assault or attack on it with so many different stressors. So the more delicate we can be, the more we can support healthy digestion and a strong microbiome, the better we're going to have nutrient absorption, the better we're going to be able to um, have a strong immune system, build energy, and really have this longevity and vitality that we're all desiring. So similar to lectins, phytate can help control and modulate blood glucose. So again, somebody that's insulin resistant, this may be supportive. As it binds to minerals, we've also got to think that it will also bind to toxins, right? If it's binding to minerals, it's probably binding to some heavy metal. So it's a great chelator in terms of reducing toxic load. So that's kind of a silver lining or benefit. So how can you reduce phytic acid? If you're looking to include these food groups, but you want to reduce the amount of phytates in your food, you can do a couple things to prepare your food. Cooking your legumes for one hour has actually proven to reduce phytic acid content by up to 80%. So that's pretty considerable, right? Other things like soaking, we talked about that earlier, sprouting, even fermenting these foods can be very, very effective, reducing up to 60 to 70% of the phytates that are found in them. So know that you've got a lot of control when it comes to the preparation of these foods when it comes to building out your plate. So a quick little special mention to a few others. Goitrogens, you may hear about these, uh, especially if you're somebody that has some thyroid insufficiency because goitrogens essentially block or inhibit iodine uptake. Iodine is necessary for your thyroid to make thyroid hormone, right? And that's super important, especially for energy. So things like broccoli, kale, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, millet, and even cassava are known to have higher levels of goitrogens. So those may be something you want to monitor if you know you've got some thyroid issues going on. Again, I definitely am a big proponent of boiling or steaming a lot of these vegetables. I think that they can be super helpful, in, especially in um, detoxification for your liver and detoxing hormone. So I think that they are not something that need to be eliminated, but certainly probably not wanting to pair multiple high goitrogen vegetables together if you've already got a thyroid condition. Now, another one I'll cons uh, want to mention is phytoestrogens, because we hear about phytoestrogens a lot. Um, and these are mostly soy, soy products, flaxseed, different types of cereals. And there's controversial evidence on this as a possible endocrine disruptor and causing an increased risk of hormonal cancer. So the studies on this are not completely conclusive, but we do know that there is some correlation and link with people that have a history of these endocrine-related cancers. So if that's you and you've got a history of breast cancer or something like that, you may want to consider uh, reducing your load or exposure to phytoestrogens. Now, we also know, on the other hand, that phytoestrogens can help women in perimenopause or uh, menopause, so with symptoms of that. So uh, again, always have some context around where you're at and what your goals are and what you're working towards. So cooking and fermenting foods is a great way to reduce phytoestrogens in your food. Even with flaxseed, have it milled down. So you don't want to just have, you know, there's there are different crackers and there's different cereals or granolas that have whole flaxseed, but the more you mill it and can break down some of these phytoestrogens, 
uh, the easier it'll be on your digestive system and also lowering that phytoestrogen content. So we've kind of done a quick run through of lectins, phytates, oxalates, goitrogens, um, and even phytoestrogens. And there's a number of other anti-nutrients out there. But the main thing that I want you to take away from this episode is that there are so many different nuances to this, right? The more informed we can be about the foods that we're consuming, the better we're going to be able to make selections that work for us. Because we know at the end of the day, our health is individual. What works for me isn't going to work for somebody else. And we're all going through different seasons where our bodies are managing so many different stressors. So when you can make really calculated decisions, right, you can really specify what it is that your body needs. And in terms of support, the better you're going to be able to heal and stay in a place of healing. So I hope that this supports you in that way. Know that, again, do not fear plants in any way. Food is medicine and plants have immense healing power. But know that in your quest to find the foods that love you back, you may want to avoid, limit, or prepare your food in a specialized way. Thank you guys for joining me on today's episode. I will link in the show notes a couple of websites that have been super helpful for me when it comes to protocols for soaking or fermenting. I really love the Weston A. Price Foundation. They have a number of different uh, podcasts, resources, articles, things like that, that always talk about how to do this. It can be a little difficult. I've tried it in my kitchen a few times. The learning curve sometimes is, is a little bit more challenging, especially if it's your first time trying this. But I promise if you kind of get in the habit, at least the soaking aspect, you can soak a lot of different things. The other thing I'll just mention really quick before we go, you can find a lot of grains that are already sprouted. So they've been reactivated. These enzymes have been reactivated. The, the nutrient density is actually amplified when they're sprouted, but then they're dried again. So all you have to do is re-soak them. And then now you've got something that's soaked and sprouted. So it's a really bioavailable way to consume these grains or legumes or nuts or seeds. So you've just got to look for them. So the next time you're at the store, Look at all of the different grains, whatever it is that you're shopping for, and see if you can find versions of them that are already sprouted. These are great, a great way to try and take one of the steps off of you, you as the responsible um, cook, chef of your home, uh, or meal preparer, whatever it is that you kind of fall into. But I have found that to be super helpful. And there's specialized grocery stores that have a lot more options than maybe your more generic store. But little pro tip for all the all the people out there that are doing all the grocery buying and the meal preparation. So I'm actually getting ready to go prepare a meal myself. And with that, guys, I will see you on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, Dr. Axe here. I want to say thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss a thing. Also, if you're in search of more natural health content, you can follow us at Health Institute on Instagram or subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the show notes below. Hey, thanks a lot and have a blessed week.